Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, speaking to the European Parliament, Justin Trudeau warns democracy faces a defining moment. Putin's attack on Ukraine is an attack on the values that form the pillars of all democracies. We have a responsibility to make the case to people about why these values matter so much, not just to Ukrainians, but to us all. NATO leaders consider their options to address the crisis in Ukraine. We hope to hear very clear response what the strongest military defense alliance on the planet is going to do with uh, something that is already uh, seen like beginning of the global war. And uh, the previous responses we had from NATO were not too convincing. And the Liberals and NDP fight back against opposition claims that their new deal will cost Canadians billions. Yes, we have differences, and some of those differences are very big. But that doesn't mean that we should put our partisan differences in front of getting the business of the nation done. And that's what this deal is about. It's Thursday, March 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Christy Kirkup of the Globe and Mail. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Mark. Let's start with the Prime Minister's speech yesterday after he arrived in Brussels for the emergency NATO meeting that's happening today. And there was obviously a very uh, a very strong tone to that speech and a, and a very clear message that this is a big moment for NATO and for the world. So... What did you hear from the Prime Minister, and, and do you think that aligns with what other NATO leaders are, are thinking as they, as they consider their options now? Yeah, I thought it was interesting to hear the Prime Minister essentially make this very public plea to the European uh, leaders that he was speaking to um, in, in terms of his address and, um, you know, saying that essentially economic uncertainties have been percolating for years. Um, but that uh, the issues of things like rising global inflation have um, really contributed uh, to growing frustrations and essentially talked about the threat to stability of, of the world um, and a deepening uncertainty about um, distrust of, of government and about the future and really pointing to the fact that the actions taken by the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and in his invasion of Ukraine, um, that, of course, this presents a, a new threat for democracies. Um, and uh, to your point, that it, this is not just about um, uh, what's happening in Ukraine, which, of course, um, uh, is horrific by every measure, uh, but this is also very concerning to Western democracies as well. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think this was uh, clearly a moment that the prime minister um, looked to kind of seize upon and, and deliver this, I, I think, pretty forward message um, that, that now is, is the time to come together um, and uh, pull together, um, essentially in defense of democracy. Yeah, and I, I, I know a lot of people have been making the observation that for anybody who has grown up and lived their entire lives in the post-World War II era, uh, mm -hmm. it's easy to take the relative stability that we've had during that time as compared to other times in human history for granted and to take democracy for granted. So I know as world leaders are gathering, they're, they're obviously considering that uh, the fact that sometimes things are more fragile than they, they might appear. And so 
Um, let's talk about the meetings that are happening in Brussels and what the possible outcomes might be from that. Of course, there's been a lot of discussion around the limitations of what NATO might be able to do without uh, leading to an escalation of this conflict. So I know that's what, what Trudeau and others have been grappling with since this crisis began. So where do you see these discussions going and the, and the NATO consensus heading? I think this is a really critical moment for NATO leaders as they are coming together in Brussels. And, and really, this is about deciding on those next steps, um, what what needs to happen uh, from here on out. Uh, we've heard um, pretty strong remarks from uh, the Secretary General of NATO on uh, decisions uh, that uh, he expects leaders to take. Of course, one of those particular issues is this expectation around uh, a minimum of 2% of GDP uh, spending on defense, which, by the way, Canada spends uh, less than that, around uh, 1.39% of its GDP on defense spending. And given the conflict in Europe, Canada has uh, faced uh, calls uh, to, to do more on this front. And frankly, I think going into the forthcoming budget, there will be uh, more and more pressure um, in, in this regard, um, uh, you know, the, the Prime Minister has not explicitly um, made a commitment to reach that 2% target, although he has acknowledged, uh, including during his recent uh, last trip in, in Europe, that you know, Canada needs to do more given, um, you know, the, the evolving situation. The, the big question um, for NATO, of course, has been, um, well, one of the big questions, I should say, is, you know, is Russia going to uh, try and invade um, a, a NATO country? And, of course, there's um, Article 5 in the Washington Treaty where an attack on one would be uh, considered an attack on all. That has not happened. And so NATO has been trying to provide supports uh, for Ukraine during this incredibly devastating time. Uh, but to your point, not wanting to escalate the situation and has rejected uh, calls uh, from um, yeah, Ukraine's prime minister um, uh, around uh, the, the notion of a, a no-fly zone, that this would be essentially, from NATO's perspective, seen as um, just too too great of an escalation of, of the conflict, um, and they have wanted to avoid that. Um, but at the same time, of course, there is the threat of uh, the use of things like nuclear weapons. Um, Russia has, has made this threat, and of course, that would also dramatically um, change the nature of the situation and have far-reaching implications. So, again, very important moment for um, you know uh, NATO uh, leaders to to come together and, and talk about what comes next. Because frankly, there is still this element of you know the fact that they just they just don't know what could be around the corner and and what Vladimir Putin might have up his sleeve. Yeah. And one last thought on this before we move on, uh, Christy, and, and um, we're about to talk in a moment about uh, about the coalition or the the deal that has been struck between the Liberals and the NDP to keep Justin Trudeau and the Liberals in power for a few more years. And, and many of the components of that deal are about domestic issues, and, and governments typically are elected on, on their domestic agenda, on their proposals and policies around issues that affect Canadians directly. But it feels like we've entered a chapter here where a lot of the government's attention is going to be focused on international issues as well as as we're seeing right now 
For sure. I think that that is, um, you know, clearly one of the arguments that the prime minister and the liberals have made in terms of reaching this agreement with the new Democrats in terms of kind of having political stability in Canada, given um, the evolving nature of the situation um, globally. And, um, you know, kind of, again, this very serious um, and and concerning situation that is playing out in Europe. Um, and this is uh, the Prime Minister's uh, second um, uh, trip uh, to, to Europe um, in, a, in a matter of days almost. Um, you know, he spent a short amount of time in Canada. There was this big agreement announced between um, the government and the NDP. And of course, he's, um, you know, back in, in Europe for uh, the the meeting of uh, NATO leaders in Brussels. So it's it's taking up a lot of, of course, the government's um, thinking space, if you will, but also a lot of the prime minister's personal time in terms of, uh, you know, uh, where he's he's spending um, his time engaging with discussions with other world leaders as well. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to the agreement and what it means and how it's been debated and discussed since news broke a couple of days ago. Um, and, and Christy, what have you been hearing in particular in the, in the last 24 hours about the direction of this, what it means? The Conservatives, of course, are, are describing it in very unflattering terms and, and saying, uh, despite the fact that it, it really is, in, in a way, how democracy works in a minority parliament situation, they're calling it undemocratic and, and calling it a backroom deal, uh, saying it's dangerous, it'll be expensive. How have the Liberals and the NDP been defending it? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, there there has been this point about not, not only the situation, of course, um, with respect to, um, you know, what's been happening in Ukraine, but also people like um, Anne McGrath, the NDP's national director, who was um, part of the discussions um, between, of course, the New Democrats and the Liberals that ultimately led uh, to this agreement. Um, she talked about other factors like divisions that um, were exposed uh, during uh, the uh, convoy uh, that, um, uh, you know, was very, um, uh, you know, big news story um, throughout uh, February, uh, where, you know, people were entrenched in the city's downtown core for, for more than three weeks. She cited that as one of the reasons why essentially the, the parties came together and they, you know, talked about this need that she called it essentially a confluence of horribleness that led to these discussions um, where they just said, okay, you know, we need to put, um, you know, partisan interests aside and come together and, and ensure that there is um, not an election during this time that there's going to be again, you know, essentially a cooperation and a functional um, parliament um, between now and, and 2025, knowing that the road ahead again is um, very unpredictable. I think that it was interesting just to touch on one more point with regards to the NDP. We heard from uh, Jenny Kwan, uh, the, the chair of the caucus. And, uh, you know, she, she made some remarks on Parliament Hill, which, you know, kind of, um, you know, she didn't divulge what people were saying at a late night caucus meeting, because, of course, the deal had to be put to members of, of caucus before it became official. Um, but she did suggest that, you know, a lot of people had hesitations about it within the caucus itself, um, that, you know, that they are, are cautious about it. They want to go into it eyes wide open. Um, and the NDP, I think, has made it clear, and Jagmeet Singh articulated this at his news conference um, earlier in the week about, you know, essentially if 
you know, this does not go as planned, um, or if the terms of the agreement are not adhered to, that, you know, this situation could could dissolve at any moment. And that's been another point they've tried to make, which is, we're going to give this a go. um, But there's nothing that locks us in, uh, should we decide that this is just, um, you know, not what not what it was advertised to be. Yeah. All right. Very interesting stuff. Uh, We'll continue to watch all of these developments. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Christy Kirkup of the Globe and Mail. We can not let Ukraine down. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Andrei Bukvich argues Russia's war crimes are a challenge to Canadians, too. Bukvich writes... It is not only Ukrainian cities and towns that are mercilessly being ruined by the Kremlin. The Kremlin easily throws all these crimes into the faces of Canadians, Americans, British, French, Polish, and other nations. Into the face of all people who are free to choose their own ways. Ukrainians are fearlessly facing the enemy. But they are asking us to cover their backs by covering the sky over Ukraine. It is a test of resilience for the free world. It is also a test of unity and honesty. At Policy Magazine, L. Ian MacDonald considers the deal between the Liberals and the NDP. MacDonald writes, A power-sharing deal is not an unusual occurrence in a minority parliament. What is remarkable is how Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh successfully kept it to themselves and their closest advisors until it was a done deal. The NDP are now power brokers where it matters most to them. As for Justin Trudeau, he's guaranteed another three years in office, which will give him a decade as prime minister. This is not just another day or week in the life of a minority parliament, but a significant and possibly historic moment. In the National Post, Sean Spear argues, Charest versus Poilievre is a proxy for boomers against millennials. Spear writes, As important as their philosophical and dispositional differences may be, they obscure the most significant difference between Jean Charest and Pierre Poilievre. More than 20 years sets them apart, and generational changes in conservative politics are at the crux of the party's leadership race. The candidates will need to craft their messages, policies, and vision to reflect these developments. The winner will be the one who best understands them. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. As discussed, the Prime Minister is in Brussels for the emergency NATO meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in private meetings. The Senate Committee on Energy, the Environment and Natural Resources will hear from Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault. Conservative members of the Standing Committee on Citizenship and Immigration will question Immigration Minister Sean Fraser. And Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez will take part in a virtual announcement of the winning design for the LGBTQ2 National Monument to be built in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March 24th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.